You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Loads more time for us to connect after the service, especially over uh, cottage pie, jollof rice, all sorts of things uh, that we'll be serving to you for the All Nations uh, lunch. But I, we have a treat for you this morning, and it's not me. Uh, it's even better than that. So we are unpacking this series, A Month in Matthew. We started last Sunday, and we're doing this every Sunday throughout August in all locations of church. And we've got a few different things happening, a few different people speaking into the life of church in this series this morning. So this morning, you will not just get one, you will get two preachers this morning. And we've limited them to about 45 minutes each. So you're in for a fantastic day. Uh, if gifts and leaves halfway through. That's because he's just hungry for the biryani. And uh, no. So we've got two messages this morning, and uh, they are both from a Davis. First of all, would you please welcome Mr. Tim Davis. Morning. Having two speakers sounds like a good idea. Um, but you know, like when you get advice how to invest your money, you're meant to sort of spread your portfolio fairly wide, just in case one thing goes wrong, you don't lose all your money. I kind of feel like Ben and Gail might have done that this morning. <laughs> um, I appreciate some of you, or lots of you will probably know who we are now. We've been around for a couple of years, but equally some of you might not know us at all. Um, so I thought it's probably best if I just give a brief intro and then at least it feels like kind of you know who we are, what we're doing. Um, yeah, my name's Tim. Um, I'm married to Sharon. I've got two daughters, Amabella and Rebecca. Uh, they're both at Kids Church. I can definitely vouch for what Gail said about the importance of having a Kids Church and that ministry. It's been wonderful for our family. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, so we are both originally from down south. Um, I am from sort of, well, it depends who you ask, Essex slash East London. I'd say Essex. I know we've got some other Essex folks in the building this morning, so that's good. Um, Sharon would say East London. Um, Sharon will fill you in on her story, no doubt. But essentially, we moved up north kind of separately. We weren't married at the time in 2016. Um, I was kind of mid to late 2016. Got married in 2017. Um, Amabella arrived March 2018. Um, we moved to Richmond from Hawes. We were renting in Hawes, bought a house in Richmond, uh, just a couple of weeks before the first lockdown, like Feb 2020. Um, and Rebecca was born following year in June. So that's kind of like a potted history of our kind of journey. Um, why we came up is like a totally other story um, that I won't talk about but it involved dreams and like supernatural stuff and it was difficult but kind of good ultimately um so yeah that, that's that's who we are but let me just read the passage i'm meant to be talking from um and then we can kind of get into it hopefully um it's matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 24 it says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if you remember last week, um, Pete spoke um, about the Beatitudes, like the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and um, that was great. And one of the verses that he kind of focused on was verse uh, 20, so 520, and it says this, um, for I tell you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of how I want to frame this little talk. Um, Jesus' criticism of the scribes and Pharisees was basically that their righteousness was essentially external, and it was only done to elicit praise from men. Um, Jesus' disciples are meant to be radically different, completely different. And the type of righteousness that Jesus looks for is essentially internal, and designed to elicit praise from God. So, kind of in, in, that, in that verse, in, in this whole section, there are two things going on. There's a religious righteousness, which is about outward performance. There's a kingdom righteousness, which is to do with inward transformation. And several times, if you read kind of this section, Jesus makes this distinction between the Pharisees, who are going about doing their thing, and their reward has already arrived. And by that, he means they're already getting praise from men. Kind of, they, they've nailed what they're looking for. The alternative to that is Jesus' disciples, and they're meant to be doing things to elicit praise from God. So Jesus is saying, don't be like them, do this. Don't be like them, do this. And he kind of repeats that thing a few times. And that's kind of carried on to this passage that I just read. Jesus says, don't do this, storing up your treasures, on earth, but if you're my disciples, do this instead. So in basic terms, Matthew 6, 19-24 is about kingdom righteousness, that inward transformation, as it relates to our material possessions. Something that kind of touches a very kind of deep personal part of our lives, kind of provokes a bit of a, a response. So we live, I think, or hopefully you'd agree, in quite a materialistic culture. We're judged by the cars we drive, the house, plural, cars, car we drive, um, the house we live in, the phone we use, our job title, how much money we earn. When we meet people for the first time, particularly for men, I think, like once we find out their name, the first thing we ask is, what do you do? Like we frame people by their status, their job. Um, that, that's kind of indicative of, of where we're at as a culture. Uh, we're told that the value of our lives consists fundamentally in what we're able to accumulate. Our sense of security and confidence is so often connected with what's in our bank account. So at the end of that passage I read in verse 24, it talks about not serving God and money. So that word money, and perhaps a better translation, is wealth. And it doesn't mean currency. It means everything that you've accumulate, accumulated, all your possessions, if you look at that word in the original language, both in Aramaic and in Hebrew, the root word is confidence. 
and it's about where you place your confidence. That's really kind of when, when I was investigating that, I thought, yeah, that resonates with me because, you know, I, I can easily place my confidence in what I'm able to accumulate. And part of what it means to be human, part of the human condition, is to place your trust, your confidence in what you can accumulate, thinking that this will somehow protect you from the ups and downs of life. Jesus obviously commands us to be radically different. He warns us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but instead to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He challenges us not to place our confidence in what this world has to offer, but in to invest our lives in things of eternal significance. If you think about that command to lay up, it's a verb, it's a doing word, it's a process, it's an action. It's not something that happens to us every now and again. It's kind of the posture of our whole lives. We're always doing it. It's not a case of whether you're laying up, it's where you're laying up. We're all doing it all the time. And Jesus' warning has two components, if you read it carefully. There's kind of the pragmatic element to it, and there's a heart element to it. The pragmatic side of things is earthly treasure actually isn't permanent. It's prone to rust and decay, and it's not secure. So why spend your life, again, just on a pragmatic level, investing in things that are of no ultimate significance? You can't take it with you when you die. And even whilst you're alive, when you buy things that you've been wanting to buy for a long time, nine times out of ten, they don't actually kind of meet that need. Heavenly treasure, on the other hand, is permanent. doesn't rust or decay. It's absolutely secure. Just on a pragmatic basis, it makes much more sense to spend your life investing in things that are of ultimate significance, that will last eternally, and that will satisfy us completely. So Jesus' warning, there's that pragmatic element, there's also a heart element. He says in verse 21, For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Your heart naturally follows the things that you most desire. That's where your affections are led to. Your treasure ultimately will command your loyalty. Your decisions, your actions, your preferences, all of those things will be geared around what you most value. If you spend your life pursuing material things, a better job, nicer holidays, more comfortable lifestyle, that will inevitably result in materialism and a heart that's cold towards God. It's an inevitable byproduct. If, however, you treasure heavenly things, your heart will grow increasingly warm towards God. You'll delight in his presence. You'll delight in his glory. It's not that material things are wrong in and of themselves. It's just that they're not meant to occupy our hearts. God knows that we need stuff. And he promises to give it to us. But they're not meant to capture the affections of our heart. Instead, we're meant to treasure God, desire what he desires, and ultimately those things are of eternal significance. So kind of just to finish, what does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? In really kind of basic terms, it's an absolute commitment to use all I have, my time, my talents, my money, for God's purposes and according to God's standards. And that applies to all of us. Some people might have one talent, some might have 20. It doesn't, the, the quantity is not significant. It's what you're doing with them. Yeah, 
And it's not about being more religious. If you think about the rich young, <clears throat> the rich young ruler, later on in Matthew chapter 19, he's kind of nailed all the commands. He's pretty self-confident in that respect. You know, I've, I've done everything the law requires me to do. So Jesus says, okay, well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll lay up treasures in heaven. And that just destroys him. You know, he's adhered to all of these external protocols. He's living the life. He's got that religious righteousness. But he's completely failed in the inward transformation side of things. <clears throat> so he kind of leaves and doesn't end up following Jesus. And, you know, for people in church, having grown up in church and spent my life around it, I can kind of identify with that at times. You can do the right things, but you're not necessarily... Like, your heart's not warm towards the Lord. You're not willing to kind of count that cost. So, so much of our time is spent focusing on the practicalities of day-to-day -day life that we never stop to think about our heavenly rewards. And I think this is really kind of where I want to land, just to get us thinking about what God promises us in the future. And it's only once you kind of capture that vision that your eyes are lifted up just of the kind of banal stuff of the here and now. What the world has to offer is so seductive, it appeals to that basic intuition to want to be comfortable, to want to be secure, and it touches on our pride. We want to be seen to be doing well, just like the scribes and Pharisees. You know, that, that is kind of our basic kind of default position without the, the work of the Holy Spirit. But the rewards Jesus promises will far outweigh anything that we can ever attain in this life. Even if we don't see all the results here on earth, which we won't, we can be confident that what Jesus has prepared for us will be far, far better. And when it comes to kind of making that equation at the end of our lives, you know, have we invested our time wisely? I mean, hopefully I've got a few more years to go, but I like to think that if we invest our lives fully in the things of God. You know, all those things that we might have had to lay down in a material sense would just be totally inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. So G one of Jesus' kind of last comments post his ascension, so in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. Our ultimate hope in the return of Jesus is kind of tied up with the rewards that he has for us. This kind of sovereign, majestic God is coming back to reward us. That's such a kind of mind-boggling, wonderful thought. So just going back to Matthew to finish, in the passage kind of leading up to what I read, there's a whole series of promises about what God has for us in terms of rewards and kind of instructive in terms of how we can actually position our lives to kind of get those rewards, kind of like capitalism. Um, kind of enlightened self-interest, but the sanctified version. Um, so we're promised that if we're persecuted for Jesus' sake, then we'll get a reward. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil and false against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted those who were before you. We're promised a reward when we give generously to those in need. So chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We're promised a reward when we pray. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the most challenging one. We'll promise the reward when we fast. Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. And then if you jump forward to chapter 10, verse 22, and this is maybe the most encouraging bit, even the smallest acts of service, Jesus makes a note of, and he records it and promises to reward you for it. He says, and whoever gives one of these little ones, so one of his disciples, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Just coming back to that video where Chloe was talking about what you can do in terms of how you serve, she mentioned washing beakers. That's kind of the model and equivalent to giving a disciple a glass of water. Jesus has promised you 2,000 years ago that when he returns, he will reward you for that. It's Amazing. So just to conclude, what are we treasuring today? Are we like the scribes and Pharisees who were focused only on earthly treasures and the praise of men, religious righteousness? Or are we investing in heavenly rewards, knowing that what Jesus offers will far surpass anything this world has to offer? Yesterday, um, Asher texted me to explain that he would have loved to kind of been in to listen to us, but he was off doing kind of kids work and oh what a bummy he's going to miss it well he's kind of already done what this passage is talking to us about kind of he's making that sacrifice he's investing in eternal things he's putting himself out of the way to serve so thank you Asha for being my kind of good example just when I needed it that's it Amazing. So, like, just just truth bombs and just uh, wisdom so subtly just dropped of, like, yeah, amazing. You know, the Bible talks about that you'll know people by their fruit, and, and the Bible talks a few times about people's fruit. And um, it was about a year, almost to the day, that I actually asked him and Sharon, hey, how about you lead young adults across not just one but five locations of church? And we've never done it before, so we're going to have to work out how this looks and what will, what will happen and how do you pastor people who are... 100 miles away and all these different things how is it going to work and and the the fruit of what's been happening I mean we live with one of those young adults the one who's on kids right now the fruit of people reading the bibles and coming alive and things is just amazing and so we're just so thankful for Tim and for Sharon they are busy people who lead quite large lives if you get to know them and see what they do on a daily basis never mind having two small children so so we're just so thankful for them why don't you put your hands together as we welcome Sharon to the stage Looking glamorous as always. <laughs> uh, it's very kind, Gail. Very, um, yeah, kind words. Um, okay, I'm going to go straight into the scripture, and I follow on from Tim, actually. And in many ways, you could read from verse 19, where Tim started, right through to verse 34, where I'm going to end, all as one text, because I think, actually, the themes are very similar, and I think I'm going to, I'm not going to repeat what Tim said, but there'll be a lot of complementary themes So hopefully it will drive home the point even more. Um, So I'm going to start at verse 24 and read through. 
Um, and it says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he, much, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And I'm going to say that again. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about what tomorrow holds, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And um, it's, yeah, it's a really popular scripture. We often go to it when we're feeling worried or we need a bit of reassurance. So actually, trying to bring something today was a bit of a challenge. Um, but hopefully, I'm going to bring something that can encourage us all. Um, and firstly, I'm going to start with the word anxious, because it's mentioned six times in that small text. And also the phrase, at least in the ESV Bible, the phrase, therefore do not worry, is mentioned three times as well. So the word anxious, it means, I'm going to try and get this right, merimnamo, no, no, merimneo, there we go. And it means to care or to be careful. And it is often associated with the necessities of life. So it's not so much about worry and anxiety as we know it today. And I'm not really going to talk about worry or anxiety. It is more, a bit like what Tim was saying, about our affections towards the necessities of this world. So, um, where, so this, as I said, there are three bits where it says, therefore, therefore, do not worry. And in those verses, it talks about food, drink, what we wear, and tomorrow. So all things are associated with our temporary life here on earth. And God is saying, do not care for those things or do not think of those things um, in a way that worries us. So I think it's less about the, the, the necessities because, you know, food is a necessity as is clothing. Like, you know, you know I, I challenge you to try not to eat or clothe yourself and see what will happen. You'll be both arrested and you may not be here next week. So, you know, food is definitely a necessity and it's very important. So it's less about the, these, these temporary things and more about our care and our affections and our appetite for the things of the world. And I think a bit like what Tim said, I think it's actually impossible to have a deep affection for the necessities of this life and to seek the kingdom of God. And conversely, it's impossible to seek the kingdom of God and all of what he wants and then to be that concerned and that overtaken with the necessities of life. So the two are mutually exclusive. Um, and I really want to quickly talk about the kingdom. This is really difficult because you could do a whole year's series on what the kingdom means. But a bit like how we live in the United Kingdom and we're governed by rules and laws 
as Christians, to those who are serving the Lord and who have repented, we immediately enter the kingdom and we are then governed by Christ's rules and Christ's laws and Christ's ways, if you like, um, less so rules, if you like. But there are just two points I want to bring out about kingdom living. There are so many references, particularly in Matthew, as I'm sure you've all discovered, about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are often used interchangeably in, um, in the Bible. But there's one scripture in um, Matthew, uh, in fact, it's tomorrow's reading, Matthew 13. Um, and it talks about the, girl, the pearl of great price. And there was a merchant who valued um, a pearl so much that he didn't just buy the pearl, he spent everything he had to buy the field so that he definitely had the pearl. And, you know, it speaks of the the value that we place on the kingdom, that we would give everything we have for the kingdom because it is is of such great value. Then a few chapters back in chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, it talks about how actually we may not enter, you know, that there are ways to enter the kingdom of heaven and it's not automatic. And it talks about people who did mighty works in God's name. They did things that they thought secured them their place, yet... God said, I did not know you. And the way that you enter the kingdom of heaven is by doing the will of God. And it's, that's quite, I found that quite, um, yeah, it's a bit scary, actually. Because, you know, we can live maybe sometimes um, deceptively, thinking that we're we're doing the right things because we do all the right things. We tick all the right boxes. But actually, there is a seeking of God's will and a knowing of God that is actually um, required to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then also, on the positive side, you know, you can think of that actually, this kingdom that we live in, yeah, it's not an earthly kingdom like Tim spoke about. It's an eternal kingdom. It's one that's in our hearts. But that's just it. It's eternal. And we as Christians get to step into that right now. And I'd go as far to say that the lives that we live now, if kingdom focused, is just going to be a continuation when we die. Like, we are eternal beings. And actually, when we pass over and, and, and this life is, is, is over, the things that we do now for the kingdom will have an impact on, the, uh, on eternity. So I guess my encouragement is for us to live with, with an eternal focus in mind, which is exactly what Tim was saying. Now, when I got to this point in um, my talk, I've gone over this like so many times, oh my gosh, but um, there were different places I could go. And I don't know if anyone's ever been to like um, improvised theatre where the audience get an opportunity to decide where the speaker goes next. I'm not giving you the opportunity. <laughs> However, in my mind, I had, right, I could do this, one, I could do this, two, I could do this, three, and I've chosen to go for Z completely off piece, like forget it, none of what I, I originally thought, and I'm like, right, okay. So really, just, um, you know, as I, I will eventually wrap this up very soon, um, I guess I decided I just had two questions really, and hopefully those questions will challenge us to help us assess where our hearts are, where are our treasures, and what are we invested in. But before I do that, I just wanted to give um, a quick um, analogy Many years ago, I was an intern at a church in um, Nottingham, and we were shown this demonstration, and it was of a jar, and there were rocks, stones, and sand. And the lady put some some stones and some sand in this jar, and then she put some rocks on top, and the rocks did not fit, and it was all a bit higgledy-piggledy, and not everything fitted in. She then took it all out, and then she put the rocks in first, and then she put the stones in. And the stones just trickled into the gaps where the the rocks, you know, in between the rocks, and all the stones fitted. And then she put the sand in, and all the sand fitted. 
And it might sound like a really basic example, but at the time it was, it was a bit of a wow thing because there were so many rocks, so many stones and so much sand that when she did it at first, she like, there's no way it's going to fit. It just doesn't fit. But actually, when you put the big things in place first and then you start to fill in with the things that are not as of um, great importance, everything fits. And I think based on what I'm going to say next, and I think you, 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 get, you will get it, the kingdom of God are the rocks. If you didn't know that, the kingdom of God are the rocks. And when you put that in place first, everything else trickles into place. So my simple question today um, is... Do we live our lives as though the necessities of this life that we've spoken about, which are important, though there is, you know, God really cares about these things, but as though they are an end in themselves. So between Monday and Sunday, and I am deeply challenged by this, how much of our affections and times are taken up by feeding the things of today? Or do we live our lives in such a way where we're prepared to reorientate our day-to-day lives, so that the kingdom of God can have his, you know, God can have his full way in our lives. And it might mean that in doing that, in opening up, opening up ourselves to ask God what his will is and um, developing a relationship where we get to know him, it might mean that things are turned upside down and it might mean that you have to make room for it. You know, maybe if you did go and do, um, serve on a ministry, it means you have to change things around so that you're not so busy or you've got, you can make room for these things. But are we living our lives with a kingdom focus in that way? And, and, you know, I was going to mention Asher too, but Tim beat me to it. But, you know, gosh, there we go, popular Asher. But I do want to end with a really simple example. And I, and I, and I say this with a lot of uh, humility because it's about mine and Tim's life. He said that, you know, we've got a story that, you know, gosh, he'll, you know, maybe one day we'll share. And I'm going to attempt to share a really tiny bit of it today um, just to illustrate the point. So... As mentioned, uh, Tim and I moved up from London um, in 2016. And at the time, uh, yeah, our relationship had broken down, so we weren't together, although we then got together and got married next year. But hey, that's a different story. But anyway, so at the time, we independently moved up simply because we felt that God, the Lord tell us to. Um, and I'm hoping that Tim won't mind me saying this, but Tim was in a job where he was being fast-tracked for promotion. And if he'd stayed in that job, the position he'd be in now to where he is today would be very different. But because he heard the Lord and he had these dreams, um, and, you know, the reality is difficult. Like, these dreams, like, you know, we just kept on hearing about them. But anyway, like, you know, it's good. As, as he unpacked them and as he followed through with that, he did make sacrifices, and he left that job at the civil service in London, Tower Bridge, to go and clean toilets in a youth hostel just because he felt the Lord tell him to. Um, and my story is a little bit similar. There was a bit of a career, yeah, uh, jump as well. And I was serving um, as a waitress in um, Simonston Hall, Avon Hall. It's beautiful, but, you know, we're at now early 30s and we've made these decisions. And, you know, often we talk about giving up this and then God, it's, it's almost transactional. You know, I gave this up and then God did so much more. But we spent a lot of our time in our early um, years of marriage wondering what we were doing and had we made big mistakes because... They were big leaps. Um, and where we are today, yeah, we're really blessed. But the, the way that God sometimes provides these necessities aren't necessarily what we would want or think or feel. So I'll be really honest. Like in terms of both of us and where we are in our career, we've done re- I feel for where we are, we've done really well. But neither of us are perhaps where we might have been had we had done it our own way. So there is a cost. But I guess the upside is the joy of knowing that you are simply partnering with God 
and doing something that has far greater significance, it does outweigh the, the, the sort of the affections and the, the feeding of the day-to-day -day and making sure that we're secure. And it can be hard to live because we know provisional, in terms of provision, God has provided abundantly in comparison to where we started in whores. However, it is a trust journey. It is, we've had to trust God. It's not as though we've had like these massive savings where we can say, right, we're going to do this, that, and the other. The money sometimes comes in at the last minute, but it does come. So living with the kingdom focus, it doesn't mean that our lives will be um, rewarded on earth in the way that we feel or, or see or think that they should or in a way that meets us. But they will be, they will be rewarded. Like we, we will be looked after. God will take care of us. So I guess... Just in closing, um, and also just as a little aside of that, you know, Tim and I are not the sort of Londoners that aspire to live in the Yorkshire Dales, as beautiful as it is. You know, we grew up in the 90s off the back of the um, garage generation, Tim and I, in the year 2000. We were sat in common, um, common rooms in our sick forms listening to garage music. Not that I'm being stereotypical, but generally that sort of person doesn't aspire to be in the Dales in their early 30s. Um, so what I'm saying is it has been against our natural leaning, but God has done so much more. So all I'm going to do to end, and I guess it kind of ties in with both of what we're, we're saying, is I just guess I want to encourage us and invite us just to think of how are we allowing the kingdom of God, kingdom living, to impact our day-to-day -day life. Um, and I, you know, I feel like I'm comfortable again. I don't feel like I've made it. I don't tell that story with any sort of arrogance. But, you know, so I, I'm putting myself in this category. And if for you, you've made a kingdom decision and, you know, it's a faith journey, maybe there are health issues or the money isn't quite there, then I just want to encourage you just to keep believing because ultimately our kingdom value and our kingdom living is of far greater worth than the small troubles that we experience today. But then if you also feel that maybe you have become comfortable and actually it is about the grind and we know what that is. We have two small children. We work full time and I run a business with staff. Like we are, we are, our lives are quite full. So we, I'm not saying this as a criticism. I know what that grind is like. But if we, maybe you do feel that the grind has become everything, then I want to encourage us just to simply to ask God to speak to us again. Be, be, be um, bold enough to, uh, to expect that God could answer in a different way. But just to invite God into your heart again and just to allow him to reorientate the order of your life. And then, yeah, to end, I'd like to invite Gail just to um, finish off. Um, but that's it. Thank you. <laughs>
That's it, is the biggest understatement, I think, for a long time. Um, just uh, so blown away by so much truth and vulnerability in that. And, you know, f- seeking God's kingdom is not the easy answer. Um, it's not. And for those of us who would say, yeah, I have been on that journey for a while, we know that there are ups and downs in that. There are times when it's so easy and we're so thankful. And there's other times when the cost is pretty great, actually. And whether that's kind of like Jacob and Olga's morning, whether Jacob's on band, they've got three young kids, and Olga's on, on kids upstairs, and they're cooking some sort of feast, no doubt. And we just so appreciate people who are doing those sorts of steps of making things work but also just the encouragement that Tim gave us of God sees it. It's so easy sometimes when we're doing these small things and, and elevate guys, you know, when you're serving on your Thursdays, when you could be down the river with your friends, but you're saying, no, I'm going to come if it means clearing out kids' cupboards or sitting in an office with Johnny Foster being mentored and ask questions I don't want to be asked and all these things. It's, there's just no greater way to live your life than orientated towards God's kingdom. And so just across this place, would you close your eyes wherever you are right now? Before we finish and before we start eating um, and before we worship again, I just wonder if there's anyone here who would say, actually, never mind God's kingdom. I don't know if I even have a relationship with God right now. I feel like I'm far away from where God would want me. And maybe you've known of God in the past or maybe it's been a long time since you've been in relationship with Jesus and you need to come back to him. The kingdom stuff, you know, is important, obviously, but also it starts with knowing the king of the kingdom. And that's what this is. So just with eyes across this place, if you know that you're not right with God and you need to be, would you just raise your hand? There's just two of our ministry team looking. They're going to pray with you later. We're not going to ask you to come out or anything, but just so we can see um, if there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus and needs to come back to him, could you raise your hand where you are right now? Okay. The rest of us, just with eyes closed, just for another minute, those questions that Tim and Sharon gave us of, am I putting the big rocks in? Or am I trying to fill it with the stuff and then whatever's left over, I'll put God into that bit. You know, I'm going to do my work. I've got to do the grind. I've got to parent. I've got to make sure I'm healthy. And all these things are not bad things. I'm not saying don't parent your kids and don't eat anymore. But I'm saying those things, it's amazing how, you know, we sometimes look at weeks and think, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But you put God first and suddenly, you're like, oh, it worked. It worked. Somehow God made a way. Somehow God has has protected my kids. Somehow there is enough food in the fridge. Somehow, and that somehow is God's how. And maybe today you need to come back to that and and think, oh yeah, I've got a bit complacent. Things have got a little bit almost settled, a bit easy. And maybe encouragement is to serve in somewhere like kids or to honestly start thinking, I'm not just going to token give in the vision offering. I'm going to really start to pray and seek God and say, what can I do? What way can I give in a different way? Or whatever it is for you, let the Holy Spirit guide you. God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. You're a God who knows every single heart and mind in this room. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, would you start to speak afresh. Start to highlight areas where we've not sought your kingdom. Where we've made our priority, our agenda, the number one agenda. And God, would you speak to us right now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak into our lives afresh. In your name, amen. Let's stand, we're going to worship together.